that my nephews played when I would come home in the summer? Class. Class. That my nephews played when I would come home in the summer? Class. Class. Shut up. Thank you. It was Sister Mary Elephant. Yeah. They thought it was funny. I didn't, but anyway. Um, Some of you um, were not here last night and didn't get um, the copy of the prayer. So there are some extras up here. I'll just leave them up on the stage, and if you want one, take one. And also, last night I gave a little um, prayer book out. Oh, there we go. I knew I loved the fan, though. Um, yeah. I don't know where mine is. Uh, Tampa Bay Praise. Thank you, dear. I appreciate that. You see, she's, um, we've got one there. No, I, I don't need it right now, hon. But I gave everyone one. If you didn't get one last night, if you just stopped by the back table, they have some extras. And so you can, you can get one for yourself. Also, um, on the back of the Priya that I gave you last night were just some questions that maybe you want to think about in relationship to this Priya. And that's what meditation is, that you think about stuff. Who have been instruments of peace in your life? So think of that. Who have been some people in your life who have been channels of God's peace or instruments of God's peace, that they've brought some peace to you? And maybe you could let them know, whatever way you can. Maybe you just say to them or... Write a note to them and you say, you know, today someone asked who was instruments of peace in my life and your name came to mind. That would mean a lot to someone to know that they've been an instrument of peace in someone's life. So, things that you can think about. The prayer goes on and on. And on. And it prays that after that, where there is sadness, that I may bring joy. It says, Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. The other translation is to be consoled, grant that I may seek to console rather than to be consoled. So what we're saying is that we're asking for the grace, and it's only by God's grace that we can do this, that we be people who want to go out of ourselves. Let's put it the other way. That we're not people that are always, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it, you know, console me. I'm so sad. You know, I want to be consoled. I want to be comforted. Um, You know, I just keep taking and taking everything I can get. Help me to be the kind of person that seeks not so much 
how is it worded here? That I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. The other translation is that I seek not so much to be consoled as to console. So in other words, this is what we seek to be the kind of people that can go out of ourselves. It's okay to want to be comforted. It's okay to want to be consoled. But not so much. Not all the time. Not that, um, uh, you know, it's the only thing we're thinking about is, is what's in it for me. So we're just praying for that grace. That we're, of that of what I was talking about before with the joy of just being there for people to comfort them. Of, of just being there. Um, and again, not so much by what we say. No one knows what to say when people are hurting. You know, sometimes, you know, you get inspired. And that's why I usually, you know, God help me say what needs to be said. But my own experience, when I've experienced death and loss in my life, it's not, I don't think back, oh, yes, she said this and he said that. It's No. But I think back and say, wow, they were there for me. So that's the important thing, that we're the kind of people that can be there uh, for other people. That we're not seeking so much to be worried about ourselves, but we can look around and say, well, maybe I can be of some kind of comfort to her. Maybe there's, you know, just a pat on the back or I'm with you or whatever. So we pray, and that's a grace that we can pray that to seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. Yes, we need to be comforted sometimes. But that we're also people who can offer some comfort to, be, to other people. Grant that I may seek to understand rather than to be understood. And again, I think it's natural we want to be understood. I want you to understand me. But we need to be people who seek to understand other people. There was a business book written a few years back, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that was, this is business. And that's one of his principles of good business is seek first to understand and then to be understood. So you need both. Yes, we want to be understood. But I think if we understand, if we do all the stuff we've been talking about last night and today and work, doing the steps, working the steps, living the steps, whatever verb you use with the steps, that's not important as long as you're immersed in it. That if we're, you know, accepting forgiveness, we're giving forgiveness, we're forgiving ourselves, we're, you know, all this kind of stuff, then we come to the realization that we are understood by God. God understands us. To be honest with you, I don't understand myself. I mean, sometimes, like, where did that come from? You know, how did I, oh, God. But I trust that I'm understood by God. And... I understand that I'm a limited human being. I am limited. I am not all perfect, despite all appearances. I am not perfect. I'm limited. So we need to understand ourselves like that, that we're, we're limited human beings. And if we understand that, understand that we're understood by God, then it's going to be... 
easier to seek to understand other people. I think the way to do that, or a way to do that, is to try to put yourself in their place. If you're trying to understand someone, you know, if I try to put myself in their place, what if I were in their place? What would I be doing or thinking? Uh, Or someone you love, you know, what would that be like if that was someone I love that's going through that? And, And we can get some understanding of people. There's no perfect understanding. There's no, this side of the grave, I don't believe, there's no perfect understanding of ourselves, of God, of other people, but we seek to understand. Let me understand a little bit more. In, in the Buddhist tradition, it's coming to some kind of compassion. If I try to understand people, then I might be able to have some compassion for them. And that word compassion comes from the Latin to suffer with. So if I have compassion, I, I kind of get in with that other person, have some, some understanding, some compassion for them. And when we can't understand, can we love? I think that's a good question. I might not understand what someone is doing, but if it's someone important to me, if I, even if I can't understand them, can I just love them the way they are? I, one time... Um, a good friend of mine, I was, I was talking to him, and I was really upset with uh, the, the men in our family. Uh, now, I'm sure it wouldn't take a psychology, it doesn't take a degree in psychology to figure out that when you lose your dad at two years old, you don't have a lot of trust that men are going to stay around. And um, so, um, but my, in our family at the time, uh, I'm the youngest of six, the sister next to me was dying of cancer. My mother was in a nursing home. An aunt who was like a sister to us was very ill. And um, I, was, um, I was with the sister who was dying, uh, working with hospice with her. And the two, uh, in my family, there are four girls and two boys. And um, the two boys, well, the men, uh, uh, Bill of, famous Bill of, you know, Kathy, that's insane, Bill. Um, he lived in South Africa, so he flew over and comes in on his white horse and, you know, has an opinion on everything that should be done and rides out on his white Not, Not really. I, that's, that's unfair to him. But, you know, the kind of cameo visit. And then the other brother was um, lived not that far away but didn't do well with the sickness and that. And he came in and, you know, took me out to dinner and... And uh, that was it, and then disappeared. And so there was no there being around for any kind of emotional support or that kind of thing. And so I was whining about that to a dear friend of mine um, who just said to me, Kathy, can you let them be who they are? No, because <laughs> it's not acceptable. <laughs> but that was, it was the best question that I could have been asked at that time. Can you just let them be who they are? That's it. And, and my relationship with both of them turned around at that. I had always been close to Bill. Bill and I were very close to each other. And, and I was also close to John at one time, but not so much in the later years. 
And so it was like, yeah, just let them be who they are. So I don't get upset when John doesn't call Bill. His son's died, and I'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes. And, and John, you know, if he calls and we talk as though we talked last week, and it might be months and months between calls. But when I got to that, I'll just let him be who he is. He's not going to be someone that's going to be there for emotional support. He's not going to be someone who's there and involved in my life for whatever reason. So can I let them be who they are? If you have trouble with that, letting people be who they are, go to Al-Anon. Seriously. I mean, even if you, you know, maybe you're not sold on you need to be in AA, you know, for whatever reason, because, gee, <laughs> it hasn't caused you any problems. <laughs> um, but everyone, I mean, I don't think there's a person on the planet whose life isn't affected by someone who drinks or uses or whatever. So go to Al-Anon. Al-Anon teaches you how to let people be who they are, that you're not going to control them. As much as you'd like, and in, in, as much as their lives would be so much better if they would let you control them, it's not going to happen. And so it teaches you to, to uh, let people be who they are. So that understanding that we seek, we seek to um, understand other people. What if I were in that position? What, you know... And that's all we're doing. And again, it's not the mission statement. It's not this is how you should be. It's like, it's a prayer. God, give me the grace to be that kind of person. That I'm someone who seeks rather to love than to be loved. That I seek, how can I be a loving person? How can I be loving in this situation? We all want to be loved. But if we're always seeking it, I want you to love me, I want you to love me, young people get tired of us. You know, you get tired of people in your life who are like that. We all want to be loved and other people want the same. Other people want the same. So we, we, we ask God, give me the grace to be someone who loves. That I make a decision to love. It's not always a feeling, but I'll do the loving thing. I'll, I'll be there for the other person. That's what we seek. And that's what we focus on rather than how can I get them to love me? You know, you're going to be, you're going to be miserable if you are just constantly focused on, I want them to love me. And it's usually, you know, it, my experience is that I'll do that. I'll be trying to get someone. And, and if that person, if that person loved me, my life would be good. And then I'm not even paying any attention to the people over here who actually do love me. You know, so don't focus on, oh, how can I get him, her, whomever to love me? But how can I be a loving person and to accept the love that's given to me by people who do love me? If we accept the reality of God's love in our life, we're more likely to be able to love others. If we'll accept the reality of God's love in our own lives, will be more likely to accept the love from others and to be loving people to other people. That's why the prayer and meditation in the 11th step is so important. So important. Because the reality is 
in my understanding of God, remember, I'm not, I don't have a perfect understanding, but, but what I have experienced, what I have learned from other people whom I trust, is that God is love. And so God cannot not love us. It's impossible. It, it, God, um, that's God's first response, is compassion, is love. That's how God is, the God of my understanding. So when I will let that in, then I'm more likely to be a loving person. But if I'm going to sit around saying, no, that might be true for you, sister. You know, you're a nun. Um, So sure, God loves you. Loves us all. Unconditionally, no strings attached. If we want to be happy, accept it. If we don't want to accept it, I, I think, you know, we're free. Remember, I thought that was the big mistake. But anyway, we're free to say, no, thank you. No, I'm not worthy. No. But yes, we are all worthy. We're made worthy by, by, um, by God's love. So that prayer, grant that I may seek rather to love than to be loved. It, it just, it's, it's how it works, really. It's like, when I seek to be a loving person rather than trying to think, how am I going to get myself loved? Then the response is, I'm more lovable. And so people are responding that way. Maybe not the one I wanted or the ones I wanted, but generally, people respond to a loving person. And so we pray. It's not something, oh, if I really work on this. Okay. If I really work on this, this is how I'll be. But I keep praying, God, make me that kind of person. And then we we do what it is. Okay, and then the prayer goes on. Instead of asking God for something, I'm going to tell God how it is. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. Um, I think what that means, or my experience of what that means for me, is not, in, in women, I think women by our very nature, for the most part, not every one of us, but by our nature, are more self-forgetting than the other half of the species. You know, that we, we tend to forget our own needs in order to take care of others. Not always. Some people are very needy, and it's, I'm going to take care of me, 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 me. But... <clears throat> So when we hear self-forgetting, it's like, oh, no. But, but it's that, um, I don't know, maybe balance, if you will. It's the kind of self-forgetting that has the, the women from Hanover and, and Madison coming in to bring a meeting to you. It's not um, what's in this for me. Now, granted, they're doing it for themselves to a great extent because it keeps them sober. But it's like, well, it's not, maybe it's not the most convenient thing. It would be easier just to go to a meeting. Um, but they're willing to forget their own comfort and, and, and so forth to come in and do it. So they're self-forgetting in that way. Now, it's, it's all of a piece. It's not one or the other because they're getting something. They're staying sober. Oh, you know. So that kind of self-forgetting, it's not... We're not asking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? But when we can, like, well, what's in it for everybody? 
that kind of self-forgetting. Um, the other translation, and I like it much better than, than this one, um, to be honest with you, is, is that it is in giving that we receive. It is in giving that we receive. So we want to be the kind of people that give and receive. Both. Not just give. You know, I'll give and give and give, and then I have nothing left. But we give and we receive. We give and we receive. It's both things. Our own bodies give us the, the example of that. Because, you know, we talked about the breath. And um, by our very breath, we receive a breath, we give out a breath. In and out. In and out. The, the, the receiving, the giving out. Um, our hearts, you know, the, the um, most important muscle, if you will, it, it is... Um, you know, taking in blood, giving out, taking in, giving out, taking in, giving out. We have that example that in order to exist, we need to do both. If I just took in a breath and never let one out, I would die. I mean, I don't know how you would do it, you know. Just keep breathing in, you've got to let it out. Or if we just let out a breath and never take one in, we die. So we have to do both, in giving and receiving. Um, and that's in the, in the 12 steps, that's the whole thing. The 12-step work that having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry the message. That's why we do it, to give what we've received, to give and receive, but we need to receive as well. Um, now, the trick is, it's not always from the same person. That if I'm giving, it's not always going to be from the same person I receive. So maybe I give and give and give, and there's nothing coming back, but I'm actually receiving from someone else. So we need both. We need to, to give and to receive. Uh, we give love. We give understanding to other people. We need to receive it. Again, it might not be the same person because they're incapable of it. But I have to look around. Where, where can I receive that? Where can I receive that? Giving and receiving isn't tit for tat. It's not, you know, a scale. Okay, I give this much and you have to give this much. No, I become a giving person, but I also have to be someone who receives. And again, I think for women, we tend to be givers. Tend to. I'm not saying everyone is. There are takers among us. We tend to be giving, giving, giving. And then, well, let me give you this. Oh, no, thank you. I can do it myself or whatever, you know. We have to be people who are willing uh, to receive graciously. To, if we give love and understanding to people, we receive it, as I said, perhaps from, from other people. So I, and that's the, the other translation of self-forgetting. 
that one finds uh, that I think is, for me, it's, it's more helpful. It says it is in forgiving that we are forgiven. Uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the, the forgiveness thing. But when I'm forgiving of other people, I'm more likely to receive forgiveness. Uh, the other translation is it, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. <coughs> Excuse me. It's that give and take. Okay. Cup of cold water in God's name. I appreciate it more today. Um, The um, that giving and receiving. uh, There's the the story of the Dead Sea um, in um, in the in the Middle East. There, there's no. there's no outlet for it. The um, thank you, dear. I appreciate it. There's there's no outlet for the water there, and nothing lives in it. There has to be some flow in order for there to be life. So that giving, receiving, pardoning, part and being pardoned. <clears throat> the giving. The um, there's a, a, a man who does some talks and writes books on, on this topic called David Steindlrast. He's um, uh, a brother, a religious uh, brother who's uh, a monk, you might say. He lives his life in, in prayer and meditation. And he does a lot of talk about <clears throat> these kinds of topics. And he's originally from uh, Vienna, Austria. And he makes the observation that we, when he's talking about giving and taking, he said, Americans use the word take an awful lot. We come into the room and we take a chair. We take a break. We take a drink. We take a nap. We take a shower. We take and we take and we take. And and it's just in our language that we do this. And he said, it really, if you think about it, if you take a chair, you pick it up and move it out of the room. <laughs> really, you know, if you take a chair. Um, and he, he says it humorously and, you know, kind of a play on words. But think about the take. And, he, it, for example, he says, if you really try to take a nap, you'll never fall asleep. But if you give yourself over to a nap, you might get some rest. Or if you sit down and give yourself to the chair, then you're held up by the chair instead of taking it. Now, it's a play on words. But he makes the point. We do it a lot. We do it with, I'm going to take time. You know, I'll take time to pray. Well, actually, where are you taking time from? Where are you taking it to? And it'd be better, all of us have the same amount of time, and we give it to what's important to us. So you might say, well, that's easy for you to say, sister. But my time is, well, you're giving your time, you're doing your time too, but you're giving it for, you know, it's important to you to follow the rules, and so you'll give the time to what they tell you to give your time to. 
But if I say that prayer is important, then I will give some time to it. I won't take it. I'll give some time to it. Um, so that giving and taking, giving and taking. The worst thing that we take is when we take offense. When, when we are that taking offense. That someone hurts me and I take it. Not, I'm not saying we shouldn't be hurt. If things are hurtful, they're hurtful. But when I take it and hold it to myself. The best kind of giving that we do is forgiving, of saying, I'm not going to hold on to this hurt. Yes, I've been hurt, but I'm not going to take it to myself and keep it. I am going to let it go. I'm gonna, it doesn't say I'm going to give it back. I'm just going to let it go. So forgiving is the best kind of giving that we do. And then the last line of the Priya, is it the one that I gave you, the one that's in the 12 and 12, it is, it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Now, I think when we, we hear that, uh, we think, oh, yeah, well, when I die, and then people have different beliefs about what happens when I physically die, I take my last breath, <laughs> take my last breath, um, or, you know, then, then I'll have eternal life. Well, I think there's a deeper message in there. That I believe the dying that, that happen for us in our own lives, the, the, we have to kind of die to ourselves and our own image of ourselves when we do a fourth step, for example. You might think, well, I'm a pretty, you know, decent person. And then we start doing our fourth step. And it's like, oh, my God, did I really do that? You know, or maybe I think I'm the worst person in the world. I do my fourth step and it's like, well, you know, this is who I am. But there's a dying to, to self that comes when we do the steps. That brings life. So in that dying, we're brought to life. When I die to myself in that sense of letting go of the images I had or letting go of the concepts I had, letting go of my old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. When I do that kind of dying, then new life can come. I think sometimes when we hear that, it's like at the end, at the very end, then I'm going to have eternal life. No, we don't know exactly what that's going to be like. We might have some beliefs about it, things other people have told us, things that our, our religions teach us or our churches teach us. But it's like that's some other time. What about today? And there's new life in today. There's new life there if we'll be willing to go through the daily kinds of deaths. The things that just don't go our way. <laughs> and there's a death there. There's also the possibility for new life. There's, there's a prayer in that little um, book. And I, I really don't know what I did with mine. So I, and I had it tabbed. I won't know. Yeah, let me use it for a minute. Actually, I think two people submitted it. I mean, I know it, so it's not so much that, but um, getting the words for it. But the Priya, there's one woman who submitted it, and she tells a long story, and I know her, and 
she t- tells long stories to get to the point. She tells a long story about her mother, and, um, and her mother's favorite prayer was, Lord God, into your hands I commend my spirit. And, and then also, uh, it's on page 64 too, Father Michael Cooper, who's a good friend of mine, submitted that prayer as well. The other one was Pat Livingston, um, that su- submitted the prayer for this, this little prayer book. Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. And I think we think of that, it's, if, if those of you familiar with the, um, the story of the uh, Christian scriptures, it was Jesus' last words. Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. He was actually quoting one of the Psalms from the book of Psalms, because that line is in there. Into your hands I commend my spirit. So we kind of think of it as kind of at the end. I hope I'm able to say it, you know. And then there'll be a free ride right in. But it's a good prayer anytime. It's a good prayer anytime. And maybe not the, uh, it, this one, it, it's uh, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. There's uh, different ways of saying it. But maybe that's a good prayer for every day. God, into your hands, I entrust what's going on with me today. I entrust my life to you today. God, into, or maybe we're worried about something. Maybe we're worried about uh, a child. You know, he's in jail or he's uh, in the hospital or we're worried about that he's choosing the wrong path or she's going with the wrong people or whatever. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Well, maybe the prayer is, God, into your hands I entrust my child. Or you say their name. I entrust Bill or I entrust... Joey, or I entrust Mary, or whatever, whatever the name. Or maybe it's a situation. Maybe, you know, uh, some situation's coming up and you want it to go a certain way. God, into your hands I place this situation. That we don't have to wait until the end of our lives to say, God, and it's, it's a third step for you, really, you know. I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. It's a longer way of saying it. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Being relieved of the bondage of self is kind of a dying to that old way of doing things that can give us new life. And so that's, that's our prayer. Um, it, is in, it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Notice the word in this one, awakens. The spiritual awakening that comes as a result of doing all this other stuff. Of doing all the work of the steps. We are awakened to a new life. So many um, halfway houses and um, uh, I'd love to hear the names of them. Bliss house. That there is a new kind of joy and bliss that can can come about. Um, uh, some halfway houses are called turning point. You know, we stood at the turning point and, and made a decision. We stood at that turning point. Um, and, and some halfway houses are called new life. The new life house or the house of hope is one in Tampa. 
that there's always that idea of there's something more, there's something beyond that um, that we can we can open ourselves to. And so that's what that prayer is about. We awaken. It says eternal life, but the eternal life means that it's going on now. It doesn't mean, oh, you know, when I'm, you know, buried at uh, the cemetery, then I'll have some new life. No, it's an ongoing thing every single day. Um, the, the sun comes up and uh, I didn't bring it up <laughs> and we begin a new day. And so that really, you know, we can hear that and say, okay, that's, that's it and that's, that's what I'm going to do and... Um, that's uh, for the for the rest of my life. That's how I'm going to be. It's like, well, bring it to today. What can I do today? And that's the the wisdom, the simple wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous and the other twelve step programs is that idea of one day at a time that we keep it in today. And really, there's no other way we can live. You know, we can only be present to the present moment, but. I don't know about you, but my feet might be in the present moment and my head is three months down and what am I going to do when I get out or um, what am I going to do then or what's going to happen then. It's like, okay, but what about today? Not that we can't think about the future and make some plans for the future, absolutely, but we can only live in today. And so that's the important thing that we do. Um, Our minds tend to go to the past Living in, and usually, I don't know about you, but when I'm, when my mind goes to the past, it, it's, it's not often or wasn't such and such wonderful. It goes back to my failures, my, um, maybe it goes to some successes as well, but usually it goes to the failures and regrets and oh my God. It's like we don't live back there. It's good to look back. It, it's like when you're driving, you know, you, you have to look in the rearview mirror once in a while to, to know what's behind you. Uh, maybe the side view mirror, maybe turn around once in a while to see when everything is clear. But for the most part, it's going ahead. And so you're looking ahead and, um, and being right where you are. So we look to the future for some things, um, but we don't, we don't live there and we don't live in the past. We Staying in today, that that one day at a time is the only way that that we can do it. And seems so simple. It just seems so simple. Of course, you know. I can remember when I first came to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I looked up the wall and it says one day at a time. So oh, isn't that cute? It's like yeah, that's a nice one day at a time. But there's a deep, deep meaning in that. Um, that, that we stay in the day. We make choices in the day. We don't make choices four months from now. We might make choices today that are going to affect it. We make our choices in today. Um, that, that, you know, St. Francis of Assisi that I talked about, another one of his sayings that, you know, people just roll their eyes and say, oh, God, no, was up to now we have done nothing. Let us begin. Well, I've done a few things up to now, pardon me. But the idea behind it, what his message was, don't hold on to that. Let's begin again. We begin again each day. <clears throat> One of the, the books that many people read, each day a new beginning. Because each day is a new beginning. 
what am I going to do today about these things? Uh, so I let go of what I've done, the good and the bad, and, and begin again today. Um, so we look at ourselves. Not, oh, yeah, now, and, and if you're sitting there thinking, gee, I wish so-and-so could have been here to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. You're here. So you take to yourself, what does this mean for me? I'm a great believer, great advocate of journal writing, of writing things down. How, just so I get a sense, how many of you do that? You kind of write stuff down, you keep a journal. or Okay, so a good number of you. <clears throat> Those of you who don't, or maybe you did it once, and it's, I don't know, that's a, my, my niece, I said it to my niece one time, and she said, you can tell you don't live with a guy. <laughs> I'm not going to write everything down. He might find it. It's like, oh, yeah. But um, there's, there's a great value into getting some things out of your head, because God knows all kinds of crazy stuff goes on in there. And onto paper. So I, I encourage that to write down what's going on with you at any given day. Write down your thoughts or your feelings and like things were good today. I enjoyed such and such or uh, gee, I like the way the sun came through the window or whatever because it gets you paying attention. Um, or to at least give it a try because some people, I, I sponsored a woman one time who wrote for a living. So when she came home, there's no way she was going to keep a journal or do any, any writing. Uh, so that's, you know, maybe some people don't like it for that reason. Or you just, I'm not a writer. And another woman said that she didn't like to write, but what she would do is, is use a tape recorder and, and record some thoughts. Whatever. Um, but it helps me. It helps me stay in today. A wonderful thing to do, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, but even if you don't like to write your thoughts and feelings, a real good thing that can be very helpful to you is to write a list of things that you're grateful for. Oprah did a big thing on this a few years back. Wise people have been doing it through the centuries. The end of the day, or whatever is good for you, whenever you want to do it, just take a piece of paper and a pencil and write down five things that you're grateful for. Five things. And what that can do for you is to help you to keep your eyes open for the, oh God, I've got to make my list tonight. And it's not to show to anyone, it's for you. What am I grateful for? And to look for things for which to be grateful. I read a line a couple of years ago, and it has just stayed with me. We would give anything to have what we have if we didn't have it. Think about it. I thought of it with regard to um, my eyesight. If I couldn't see, I probably would give anything to be able to see. There's someone here on crutches. You'd probably give anything to be able to walk around the way the rest of us are walking around. Some of us at 345 are going to walk out the door. Some of you would give anything to be able to walk out the door. We would give anything to have what we have 
if we didn't have it. So we have walking around, we're breathing, we're breathing on our own. If you've ever had asthma or a horrible cold or pneumonia, if anything, to be able to take deep breaths. And, and we're doing it. Or maybe I don't, you know, maybe some of you do have that problem and it's like, <laughs> to give anything to just be able to breathe in and out the way she's telling us to. But we can do it. So, getting in touch with what we have to be grateful for. I'm a great advocate of writing it down. Because for me, if I just think it in my head, it's like, oh yeah, and then my head goes someplace else. But it's like, okay, write down five things. And try not to write the same five every day. Look for stuff. What else do I have to be grateful for? You know, besides the fact that I can see and I'm breathing and walking around. That I'm warm. I'm hot. Now, this, by the way, this fan is wonderful. Uh, You know, that I'm not having to stay out in the cold. That I have a place to be warm. That I have something to eat. That I'm not starving. So, getting in touch with... Living in today, that's what we're talking about, staying in the day, and what do I have to be grateful for today? What in my life do I have to be grateful for today? Real important thing that can help us. The other, in in staying with the the journal idea, um, if you don't want to write your own thoughts and think, you know, Okay, that's, that's great for you because no one's ever going to read yours because you have some control over your own privacy. But, hey, I'm living with all these other women and I don't want anyone to find it or I don't want people to get into it. Whatever. Or when you're at home, like my niece, is like, I'm not going to write that down. He might find it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. If you don't do that, <clears throat> write down stuff that means something to you. I mean, we all have lots of books or um, have the big book. Um, this is, honey, I shrunk the big book because it's the, it's the uh, first 164 pages and then some other stuff. Um, and it's there, but maybe there's one line that really speaks to you. For example, you might open it up to page 83 and it says, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Well, maybe that really means something to you. Well, get a notebook or some kind of a book and you write it down. And so that you start a collection of things that, that are meaningful to you. A few, I'm a big journal. I've been keeping a journal for over 30 years. So I, and it's usually just a spiral binder, a spiral notebook, you know, just some small thing or... Um, it's been different sizes at different times. Sometimes it was those composition books or whatever. But usually something didn't cost more than a couple of bucks. Well, I also, I'm crazy about good paper. I love the feel of good paper. I love nice binding on books. I love a good pen. I'm a pen freak. I, I like to, and I see people like, yeah, me too, yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago, I decided to shoot the wad. Actually, it was year 2000. I'd say a couple of years ago. God, a decade ago, for God's sakes. 
I was in Barnes and Noble, uh, 2002. I was in Barnes and Noble, and I picked up this journal, and it was like you know, 17 bucks or something, which is a lot for me. I mean, it's you know, but I thought, you know. I'm worthy. Maybe I had just gotten some money for Christmas or something. I'm, I'm going to shoot the wad, and I'm going to get a really nice journal. And um, so I had a notebook, a you know, little spiral ring uh, binder notebook that, that I'd been using. And as soon as I finish that, I'm going to, this, this is the new one, and I'm going to, it's really nice, I'm going to do it. So then I... Probably a few weeks later, I finished that other, you know, dollar sixty-nine notebook, and I go and I get my nice leather bind, you know, gold edged. Not gold anymore, but it was gold edged. And I'm about to start using it as my journal, and I think this might last a year, maybe, you know, and then it's going to be on the shelf. I don't want to do that. I. I because I'm not going to keep buying these. I'm not going to spring 17 bucks every time I, you know. So I thought, ah, what I'm going to use it for is I'm going to write down all my favorite quotes and prayers and poems and, and stuff. I'm going to put them in there. And then I'll have it whenever I want it. And and so that's what I started doing in 2002. And I'm I'm almost to the end. Well, no, I've got... I've got quite a bit left, but, you know, all of this is just all my favorite prayers and poems and quotes, you know, good advice I've been given. Like the, like the guy in AA when I first came in, Johnny D., he was like 107 years old and, you know, 50 years sober, which isn't possible because, you know, AA wasn't that old when I came in. But anyway, it, uh, uh, Johnny D. was an old-timer, and, um, and he used to say he was an old kind of grouchy kind of person sometimes and um and he would say real profound things like when people would start talking about guilt and uh you know they a meeting would open up and and i want to talk about guilt because i'm having trouble with my guilt feelings and everything and johnny d would sit there and say you want to stop feeling guilty stop doing the things that make you feel guilty Wow, wise Johnny. So, you know, kind of, I wrote that down so I never forget it. Um, Johnny D was, was uh, he, he was really, he was quite a character. He would say, that, I don't know if I wrote this one down, but in U, I got so sober in Utica, New York, and, and the, um, the skid row of, of Utica was called Bags Square. That was the name of the place. It was that was the skid row. It was the bad section of town. And, you know, the homeless hung out there and the, the alcoholics and the drug addicts and everything. We were at Bag Square. And then there was this very nice um, country club on the outskirts of town called the Yanandasis. I don't know what the word meant. It's probably a Mohawk Indian name or something. But anyway, the Yanandasis. I don't know how to spell it, so don't ask me. But anyway, the Yanandasis is very fancy country club. And Johnny used to say, when you talk about the progression of the disease, oh, where did this come from? There it is. Um, when, we, when he would talk about the progression of the disease, he would say, I've seen a lot of people start drinking at the Yanandasis and end up at Bag Square. 
I've yet to see anyone start at Bag Square and end up at the Yanandasas. Oh, wise Johnny, you know. <laughs> so, in my book, I've written down good advice I've been given, uh, like the person who said to me, can you let them be who they are? I've written poems, that, not my own, I'm not a, a poetry writer, but uh, poems that I, I really love. Um, and so I have them with me all the time. Uh, wrote that line, you know, my mother, your memory is a wonderful thing, Kathy. Don't ever take it for granted. Um, the other thing Johnny D. told me when I, and I, I wrote it down here, when I was, I, I, after I'd been sober a few years uh, in Utica, I moved to Chicago to study alcoholism counseling. And um, Johnny didn't think that was a great idea. Um, but because he, and he said, it's, it's not that I don't think you could be a good one. Uh, you know, you probably will. Uh, he said, but I've seen too many people study alcoholism counseling and then go get drunk. And, um, well, that really scared me. And now I've lost the page. But anyway, um, I do have it indexed, too. A little compulsive, but, you know, gotten me this far. But anyway... Um, uh, I'll, I'll go back to that one about alcoholism, counselors getting drunk. But <clears throat> when I was leaving, Johnny said to me, <clears throat> Kathy, you can do untold good in this world if you don't give a damn who gets the credit. It's good advice. You can do untold good in this world if you don't care who gets the credit. Good line. Just to finish that, that story, you know, he was very concerned because he'd seen too many people study alcoholism counseling and then go get drunk. When I got to Chicago to do my studying, uh, the, the program that, that I was in, you spent the first three weeks in um, some classes, some very intense classes, and different um, uh, people from the staff of the treatment center would come and, and do classes and this one woman came uh, Virginia Payne I'll never forget her and Virginia was I think 28 years sober at the time and she came to um, speak to this new class of you know recruits if you will that was studying alcoholism counseling and her topic was the two hat issue and the two hat issue means you're a recovering alcoholic and you're an alcoholism counselor you know, and I'm sure there are some people in, in this room who, who have those two hats. And so I'm, I'm, I go to the class, and she starts out the class, and she was a very stern kind of person until you got to know her. And she said, um, maybe some of you have heard alcoholism counselors get drunk. And I'm thinking, ah, that's what Johnny D said, and she's going to tell us he was wrong. That doesn't happen. It's true, she said. It's happened. I've seen it happen to a number of people. And I thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of here because I don't want to do this, you know. And she said, and I'll never forget it, she said, they didn't get drunk because they became alcoholism counselors. They got drunk because they stopped going to meetings for themselves. That they, people became alcoholism counselors and then they, it's like, okay, now I'm working in a treatment center, I'm working in a halfway house or I'm working wherever 
and they go to meetings where patients go, and they so they and sometimes you have to because it's your job and you have to be at the meeting that the patients are at. And so you're at the meetings with the patients, and you're at the meetings with the the people in the halfway house, and you stop going to meetings for yourself because you're the alcoholic. You stop going to meetings or with with people who in, in NA, they stop going to NA meetings for themselves, and they just go to be there with the clients or with the patients or with the halfway house people. And they're always the expert because they're the counselor, you know, so they're... So they take on this kind of, you know, whatever. And before you know it, it's like they're not there for themselves. They're there for everybody else. And they drift away and use a drink, whatever. And it happens. And so I was very grateful that even though Johnny had given me this this good advice, you know, of you know, better be careful because I know a lot of alcoholism counselors that, that get drunk. Um, it doesn't have to happen. As long as you keep going for yourself, that you go where you're yourself and you can talk about your own stuff and you don't have to worry about that patient's a client of yours and you're going to be sitting in the counselor um, client role or the counselor patient or the counselor whatever role. You don't have to play a role. You're yourself. And so if any of you decide at some point, because, you know, sometimes when people get sober, it's like, I want to help other people with this. I Look at what my experience can do. I want to help other people. Wonderful. Where would we be if people didn't choose to do that? But if you choose to do it, remember that you keep going to meetings for yourself. You keep taking care of your own um, recovery. I want to stop there. That was kind of, I hadn't intended to do that. It was like encouraging you to, to write things down and to have stuff that inspires you so that, you know, you can pick something up and say, oh, yeah, that was good. Um, my grace is sufficient for you, maybe is the line that you write. And it's like, oh, yeah, I need to remember that. And you pick your book up. So I encourage that. Okay. Um, it's time for another break because you're... You've been listening too long. Let's just close this part with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Just for today. Sorry. Um, We're going to take a ten-minute break, so we'll be back here at... Eight after. I know.